You're listening to the State of Love and Trust, a Pearl Jam podcast. Follow the show on social media and remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice. Now, here's Jason and Paul. everyone, this is Nicole Alvarez from the world-famous K-Rock, and you're listening to the State of Love and Trust, a Pearl Jam podcast. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the State of Love and Trust. It's a Pearl Jam podcast, and I'm one of your two hosts, Jason Carapesi, and alongside me, as always, is Paul Guilieri. Oh, that wonderful intro by our guest. The cat's out of the bag now. It is indeed. Nicole Alvarez from the world-famous K-Rock. If you don't know what K-Rock is, it's, it's probably because you're not from this country, um, <laughs> because it's one of the few rock stations in this country that generally gets known by people around the country. There's a few of those that are like, oh, I know that station. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of good things have happened with K-Rock over the years. It's a, it's a, it's a what, would, what would you call it? It's a... Um, it's iconic. Yeah. That's a good word for it. Iconic. It's a, uh, yeah. I mean, institution. Why, that's what I was looking for. Inst- it, it is. It is an institution. Uh, and, and that's why it's known as the world famous K Rock. How many radio stations can uh, make that claim to fame, huh? I don't know, but there are a lot of uh, coffee and sandwich shops that claim to be world famous for what they do. And, you know, <laughs> I, I don't buy them, but I buy K Rock. Uh, I. <laughs> We'll we'll take it. <laughs> All right. Well, enough jibber jabber. Um, we're so excited for our guest uh, this week. Before we get to her, I want to say thank you to you, the listener, of course. Uh, any new listeners, welcome. This is what we do. We talk about Pearl Jam in the nerdiest but best kind of way. Um, thank you to our patrons. Mm-hmm. And uh, thank you to everyone who's bought one of the new shirts. They are flying like hotcakes if, fl- if hotcakes flew um, off the shelves. So appreciate you guys uh, for your interest in that. And uh, remind the good listener to rate, review, and subscribe on their podcast platform of choice. Feed the algorithm. We should just get to it then, huh? We should. It's finally time to talk to the one and only from the world famous K-Rock, Nicole Alvarez. Hello. Thank you for having me. This is fun. Welcome, Nicole. Very, very pleased to have you. How are you this evening? It's good. It's a nice rainy LA night. So it's raining outside. The kid is sleeping. Candles are on. It's very chill. And we get to talk about my favorite. We're going to talk about indifference. Yeah. <laughs> we can talk about anything Pearl Jam and I'd be fine. Okay, good. That's what we're going to talk about. But yeah. first, we got to find out a little bit about who you are. So we know how to wrap our heads around what you're saying about the band. And I yeah. want to start in a place that's um, near both of our hearts. And that's Miami, Florida. Miami and Florida. I say that because I went to college down there. Okay. So it was a great four years. You grew up there. Yeah. Um, you said that you weren't the best student, but there are many ways to gain wisdom in life. And I want to know what did getting into mischief down in the 305 teach you about yourself and about life? So the kind of mischief that I got in though, I was, I was really advanced. I, I really was. <laughs> I, I got in a lot of like Miami trouble and I think you would understand what that means, but it was, you know, I, I, had, I thought you were going to say Ponzi scheme when you said advanced. Oh, I, no. I was 18 and I had the whole town wrapped around my No, by the, 
time I was 14, I was already like going to all the clubs and bars on South Beach, which back then was just known as Miami Beach. I was getting people in. I was staying out. I was missing class or skipping school in Gables. I had gotten kicked out of a Catholic school, then tried to go to another school and then dropped out of high school because I was hung over just a couple of weeks before actually graduating. Oh my goodness. And so I was just, I was always like the, the one that the teacher said, she's got so much potential, but she's got so much potential, but my social life just always, you know, was at the forefront. And what I learned about myself, I just, I have a lot of street smarts and that particular traditional route that is school wasn't meant for me. And now I know that that's, you know, that's okay. It's not actually for everybody. Is your middle name uh, or nickname, I should say, Crowbar or <laughs> no. any other South Beach? No, okay. no, no, no. It's nothing That's crazy right. like that. But I do, have some, I do have some crazy South Beach stories that I probably should keep to myself. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> nice. So, Nicole, you got you, 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 your foray, your, your entry point into music really, I think, was uh, facilitated by your, your grandmother and this and record my, player that she had. So, my grandma's record player. Yeah. 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 I was a little girl and I just, my grandmother had this huge record player and it was this huge, it looks like what a TV stand would look like now. It was massive and, you know, like old. The wide ones, right? Oh, the credenza. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it was like a whole, so it was like a whole world and the records were inside and it smelled a certain way. And I would just sit by it and play my dad's records. And my dad had some really cool records and everybody else was outside and doing their own thing, but I was captivated by their record player. And so I think that's when music first kind of snuck into my life. And then my dad is a huge music fan. So we would go to the beach on weekends and he would put on the Beatles, every Beatles song, but mostly Rocky Raccoon and Neil Diamond's Coming to America. Oh yeah. So, so my early memories of my dad and my parents before they were divorced, the good ones, the good core memories all have to do with music. Um, so yeah. given this exposure, what, what are three records off the top of your head that you can't live without? Must have. Um, you can, you can oh say, my- you could not say Pearl Jam too. You could just pick anything. No, I can't. I, I won't say Pearl Jam. Cause that goes without saying, but I'm thinking about like my childhood, uh, uh, Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon is a record that I cannot and will not live without. Period. Mm-hmm. End of sentence. This one's a little newer and it's going to sound weird to you, but Pete Yorn has an album called Music for the Morning After. Wow. Okay. That I, that I also can't live without. And um, nine, probably Nine Inch Nails, Broken. Not Pretty Hate Machine, Broken. Yep. Yeah, those are my, those are my three core. I like Love that it. shout. That's good. That's good. Sans downward spiral. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. Downward spiral has got some good ones, but broken from front to back. Not a lot of people know broken because it's not one of the big ones. Right. It's a masterpiece, especially if you're channeled into any sort of anger. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's just phenomenal. Cool. Yeah. Good, good choices. Well, Thanks. that's a great segue then because you have said that the two loves of your life are Nine Inch Nails and Pearl Jam. Correct. Uh, and that they are the healthiest and longest term relationships that you have yeah yeah that you've ever had i should say without getting into all the psychotherapy yeah. uh <laughs> let's break down this pearl gem obsession that you have because okay. we believe that many including us uh feel very similarly so let's okay. start at the beginning okay how did this relationship with pearl jam start and when it was 1992 it was at bicentennial park and it was oh yes 
And the Lollapalooza bill that year was sick. It was Pearl Jam, Soundgarden. The the two I remember the most, obviously Pearl Jam and Ministry. Um, But I was there. I was there with a group of friends who weren't really music lovers. They were just there, you know, because it was Lollapalooza at Bicentennial Park and they wanted to leave. And I remember begrudgingly being like, fine, we'll go. And as we're walking away, I heard Eddie Vedder's voice in the background and I turned around and like went to him like a tractor beam, like literally like a ray of light was sucking me in. I was like, that voice felt like home in a weird way. And I just made my way up to the stage. I don't remember. I think it was like during garden or something. And I was hypnotized and mesmerized. And ever since that moment, that man, that voice particularly has been the lighthouse of my entire life. Every choice I've made, how I ended up in LA, my daughter's name, um, and not in like a crazy obsessive, I want to marry Eddie Vedder way. It has nothing to do. I don't, I wouldn't even know what he looked like. And I just heard his voice and that voice would be like, it's like shamanic to me. Shamanic. That's a great word. It's true. though. It has like, a different kind of influence and effect on the molecules in my brain than just like, oh, I'd like how this dude sings. It's way more than that. It was meant to find me at some point. So you- It's fun. Go ahead, Jason. I was yeah. just gonna say, so you went to Lollapalooza. Did you, you already knew the band or you, were you going in blind? Barely, barely knew the band. Like I knew of them, but I went in blind. Cause they hadn't blown up yet. That was, that was the summer that Jeremy that took him right to the stratosphere. Yeah, that was right there. So okay. I, I barely knew. I just, I knew more about ministry than I did about Pearl Jam. I was like, fuck, yes, I'm going to go see ministry. <laughs> um, and I was also like so young and not sober, you know, when you're young and you start to experiment with your friends. So I was not necessarily like the hardcore music nerd that I am now, but I definitely, it was starting. I have to ask you, Nicole, you, this yeah. voice speaks to you. Yes. And it sucks you in like a tractor beam, right? Yeah. Um, but let's uh, let let's elevate that just a tad. So you yeah. you've you've said before that your your favorite part about being on the air is that it it, it gives you a voice, a platform, it makes you feel like you yeah. have a voice. Yeah. I think that all three of us would agree that one of the things that's so so pivotal about Pearl Jam as a band is the fact that yeah. over the last thirty years, especially in the early part of their career, they really made a generation of people feel like they had a voice. They they had an audience that felt like they were being heard. Yeah. So I'm wondering, what about Pearl Jam's music do you think made you feel like you were being heard? It was, or do you even agree with that? No, I completely and totally agree with that. I don't think that I even thought I could have a voice until Pearl Jam came along. Cause to me, music was just music and there was no band that I related to in a way that made me think, Oh, I could speak for myself on my own behalf. And when Pearl Jam came along, the lyrics were relatable to me and the way that they went about choosing to do things and not do things. I was like, I can respect this. Like, I remember that whole Ticketmaster thing. It really fucked me over. It was really hard to get tickets, but it was so respectful that they stood up for something. And ever since that, it was the Ticketmaster thing that although I was really kind of pissed off because it was hard to get tickets, I was like, it's important to risk everything to stand up for something. And I think to me, they did it in a non-aggressive, hateful way. They did it in like, ah, oh, the way that they went about it was so purposeful. 
I'm not a Nirvana person. To me, that was like too angry or too dark. The way that Eddie did it was with fire. And that's why I love the way that Pearl Jam's gone about giving people a voice. How do you think, you know, the w- it's been talked about time and time again, how, you know, grunge kind of killed off hair metal and all that crap. And it's like, okay, sure. But why, why is the case you have this music that has a voice, gives people a voice, makes them feel like they're heard coming on the heels of just complete, you know, Hey, it's fun, but it's fun nonsense, right? It does, it's not saying yeah. anything. Like Maybe it skinny was. bop yeah. <laughs> or cherry pie. Round you, and that's round. not revolutionary. <laughs> or rat, you know? Cinderella. Right. Hey, it's Warrant. all fun. It, it Warrant, exactly. It's all fun. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Tony Katane on, on the hood of the car. It's it's all yeah. fun. But like when you have the dichotomy, the sharp dichotomy of what that music was versus the music that, that Pearl Jam and, and Chains and Soundgarden to a, d- a different degree and, and Nirvana were yeah. doing, does he, do you think that that helped the message or do you think it was just by itself that powerful of a, of a, of a beacon? I don't know. I don't know. I know that that single-handedly shifted a generation and the narrative of a generation. Like it went from everybody just kind of walking around eating shit to, oh, we have things to say and changes that need to be made. And I wonder how that would have happened if it weren't for that whole grunge movement, which to me, maybe it's just because I'm a music nerd, but I think spearheaded the change in narrative from that one hair metal generation to the other. Like people just started putting on their big boy and big girl pants and making changes. And to me, the first time that I saw that happen, that I remember that happening was via via the music, via grunge. So I do think that it helped that it came on the heel of something as ridiculous as cherry pie. (laughs) Fun as hell, but it definitely catapulted it into like, oh, this is serious. Yeah. It's funny. You can't imagine Eddie Vedder fronting a band like Poison. But... But that being said, uh, he he became like a, a national phenomenon pretty pretty quickly. I mean, you, Jason and I talk about this all the time when Ted came out. It was that they were like a supernova. They just burned bright, especially I'm in curious. the summer that you saw them. Yes, exactly. Uh, Touche, Jason. So, w- thinking about some of the times that you've seen them, and, and maybe even some lyrics that impacted you. You referenced Garden and the voice that pulled you in. Yeah. What what are some of the moments? maybe some of the lyrics or even performances when you look back that impacted you. I have one specifically and I quote it all the time. Anytime I talk about even flow, I think it was a show at Bayfront park. It was, it was no Fort Lauderdale. It was Fort Lauderdale. Um, I've been to so many world gym shows. So I have to like take a second. What's your your number, Nicole? 109. Shut your front door. I'm going into, I'm going into 109. Yeah. I'm going into 109 and that's not counting Eddie Vedder shows. You didn't yeah. go to Innings Festival, did you? You, you, you didn't I didn't. To- I didn't go to Innings, and after reading what I read today, I'm kind of happy that I didn't. <laughs> it seemed um, kind of like okay. I just, I, I know, I've always, I've always had a good radar as far as like which ones not to miss, and I've always been on the money. And Innings just didn't. I don't know. I wasn't moved to go, but uh, the next time he plays anywhere, I'm going because I have the itch. <laughs> Uh, 100, 109, 109. Sweet wow. Jesus. What, what, yeah, what's no, the no. record we've, we, we were, I thought we, uh, what was the highest, uh, well, our, our friend from, was it, uh, Poland. Tasmania or, uh, no, it was with the, oh, yeah, the Polish. No, he, he had 86. So 86. Nicole's the, 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 yeah, the, yeah, yeah. you, you yeah. are the new queen. Yeah. 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 Good, good. I should be, <laughs> I have all my stuff. I have everything. Um, so in Fort Lauderdale, 
think it was Fort Lauderdale, whatever. He was talking to Rex not long after 10, but definitely after verses. Okay. Whenever that was. But he he was way ahead of the curve on this because before the homeless and the unhoused became the massive problem that it is right now, I remember he was playing at a venue that was close to a bridge or bridges. And he started talking about the people under the bridge. And right before he introduced Evenflow, he said, they're not always crazy and it's not always their fault. And that's never left me because he was the first one to point out that these people that we look away from, like the degenerates, the ones society considers trash, they're not always crazy. And even if they appear to be, it's not always their fault. That was the first super impactful thing that Eddie said that stayed with me that I still carry. Why Why do you think it is that a guy, a, a, a musician, a rock star of that caliber, that level, it was weird to see somebody have empathy like that. Even 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 still, there are so many rock stars where, you know, I'm sure that they 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 feel bad for these kind of people. But who's doing anything? Who's actually, you know, who's doing home shows three four years ago and raising eleven million dollars, um, you know, for homelessness in Seattle? Like, who is doing that? But, not a but, lot. Not a lot of them. And I think some of them do it in a more performative manner. Not to take away from the fact that they do do it, but um, one person that does would be Dave, Dave Grohl. Is a pretty awesome. Well, you saw him today. Yeah. No, no, no. I didn't see him today. A couple of days ago, he fed the homeless. Oh, in was the it two days ago? Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Storm. Yeah. Yep. In the storm, he set up his smoker at midnight and worked 16 hours to feed them. But Eddie is different. Eddie, Eddie's connected to source, like source works through him. I don't mean to sound all woo woo, but he's not one of us. <laughs> he was put here and he gets, cause listen to the lyrics and the way he articulates things, that's why I say he's so shamanic because there's a spiritual connection that he's he's connected to something which allows him to help us feel what we should feel to draw out sympathy and compassion and as much emotion as possible. That man is not one of us, period. Well, in a lot of ways, um, you could argue that that we are one of him in the sense that... Yeah. Yes. You know, take take some of the work that you do, for example. Well, we're getting right? deep. We're getting we, deep. We, well, we are. We are. I mean, you, Nicole. listen, we, we it's no secret. And you referenced this. You alluded to this, that there is a homeless homelessness issue here in Los Angeles. You've been engaged in trying to remedy this with the Suitcase Joe Foundation. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, this is something very near and, and dear to your heart and, and dear to the heart of uh, of the band as well, considering that they raised, as, as Jason put it, $11 million with those home shows back in 2018 to fight this issue in Seattle. But I think, and we both kind of referenced this, one of the, the best Pearl Jam songs of all time is about the the, the torment of being homeless. Yeah. And, and, and this particular individual that Eddie had met outside of a recording studio that that essentially inspired even flow. So when did you personally feel like you wanted to be engaged in, in this fight that, against homelessness? Like when did you say I need to be part of this solution as opposed to an idle bystander? Well, I've always been drawn to the homeless ever since I was a little girl. I there's I even I snuck out of my house. I was like seven. I snuck out of my house and I walked across the street to a 7-Eleven to give this homeless man that I thought was fun looking food and my mom like called the cops she didn't know where I was but so I was always drawn because I see I see them 
And I've never been, I've, I've never, I don't have a bad life. I didn't grow up in a bad way, but uh, there's a part of me that has always just seen them. I don't know if it's like a past, maybe in a past life, I had some hard times, but I could see them. And, but it wasn't during, it wasn't until the pandemic, the pandemic that I was like, why am I just sitting on my ass? Like there's so much that we could be doing. And that's when I met my friends at the Suitcase Joe Foundation. We started going to Skid Row and I started to get to know some of these people and see, I see them and I understand why you would think they're nuts, but like there's this one guy in Skid Row. He's the mayor of Skid Row. His name is Pepper. And in another life, he could have been like the greatest Hollywood agent because he's all charm and charisma. Uh, but he fell on hard times. And so I just started going there and then I saw some really bad things like women full of blood because they didn't have, you know, sanitary stuff or they wanted to be like that so that they wouldn't be attacked in the middle of the night. It made them less appealing mm. to others. Um, I saw, I, I see some crazy stuff down there, but once you go and you see, it's hard to disconnect. It was, but it, to answer your question, it was during the pandemic that I was like, I, I'm going to do this. Yeah. And I go down there all the time. I'm not scared whatsoever. I have friends. I just don't know how to fix it. I don't know that anybody really knows how to fix it. Uh, there's no, so many different solutions that are offered up and in, there's always money being thrown at it, but then it's either misused or lost or whatever. Um, yeah, it's nuts. And it's getting out of control. And it's, um, it's getting really scary. And that's one of the things I admire most about Eddie Vedder and Pearl Jam is they've always been very consistent in their caring of humanity and the world. They haven't just done a one off charity here or one off speech there. They've been pretty consistent since well, day one. I mean, think about, you know, I've been here since 06. Paul's been here since around 06, 07, I think, right? Yeah. Um, so, in LA. So Oh, LA. Oh, wait. Yeah. I moved there. Oh, or I thought you meant on Earth. <laughs> no. Yeah, no, yeah. We're, we're, we, we look terrible. We're a bit for more um, <laughs> I, grew, I grew a beer by nine. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, they've been doing shows down this way forever. And yeah. it's, I have every bootleg you could possibly unearth that's listenable. And even as far back as like 92, 93, 94, they were pumping up surf riders. They're pumping up all yeah. these things. I mean, obviously, Dana Point, Ohana Festival yeah. was very much involved with that. Yeah. There's always been, I mean, how long has the Vitality Foundation been around? 20, 30 years? Yeah. God, it's been that long. I mean, EBRP, the last three or four years mm -hmm. with Jill. There, wow. there, there are so many things that they just make you, as a Pearl Jam fan, make you, you feel, it feels normal to talk about these things or to be yeah, involved. Aware. Even if you're indirectly involved by purchasing a ticket, you're, you're in it. Yeah. And how do you are there any other bands to you that even come close to making us feel like a global citizen to, to pardon you know, no. the pun of that no and i'm not just saying that as like a pearl jam snob but no like i can't and i you know i'm pretty well versed in the music world no i can't think of um like i can think of an individual artist that's like you know like elton john has the aids foundation and he's been consistent and very passionate about it since day one um so that's been wonderful to watch, but not like Pearl Jam. Pearl Jam's got a bunch of things that they're juggling, but they do it so consistently in such an organized manner that we as their fans, we don't feel overwhelmed. We don't feel like they're shoving anything down our throat. They just give us bits and pieces of knowledge at the right time in the right places. And now we have this whole picture of what the world looks like and the things that need some attention. 
they do it in such an elegant and graceful manner. It's wonderful. Uh, um, let's give you a chance to be eloquent and graceful here. Oh no! Uh, no, you, you, <laughs> oh, you no. Uh, says God, the you, says the DJ you, for the last twenty. You are years. A, exactly. You are a self-proclaimed right brain person, Nicole. I talk shit. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so look, you, you you said in your uh, K Rock bio that you prefer sunsets to sunrises. Yes. Pray tell. <clears throat> I like knowing that you successfully made it through a day. And I like the gentle goodbye of you, you did it, you're there. And then I just love watching the night fall. And there's something so dreamy about the stars. And to me, it's just a bigger world at night. I've always felt more at peace at night. Sunsets, I mean, sunrises are beautiful and everything, but then there's, it's followed by this hectic, like, I got to get to work and the honking and the people, and they all start waking up where at night, I feel like you just you're you're heading towards a more gentle place is it because you're associating your child going to sleep and you have a quiet house no but i've always i've always been a night i've always been a night owl since i was little yeah always been a night person Uh, my daughter is the same way so am i gentle goodbyes nicole stone gosser would love that that song title i love it i want to ask you guys if that's okay what your favorite pearl jam show ever i get asked that all the time and it's really hard to nail one down, but I'd like to know which and why. That we've been to or just in general that we listen to? That you individually, your favorite Pearl Jam show that you've ever experienced that. Oh. If at the end of the day, somebody's like, what is your Pearl Jam happy place? Think of one moment at one show. What show would that be? Oh, yeah. You got one at the top of your head? Yeah. I can, well, no, I, can, I mean, the, the yeah. last show that we, you know, the second to last show we went to here in L.A., we were on the floor and I, I mean, we weren't right on the rail, but we were really close. We were like five feet, it's like, feet. Yeah, 18,000 people. Were you one of the set list people? No, no, actually, but we, uh, we, we, we know who they are. I was like, you have my job. God damn it. <laughs> I, it yes. Trust me. <laughs> Pick the wrong uh, songs. But honestly, it was just to, to be that close and sharing music with, with Jason and my wife and, and his wife, Andrea, it was just such a, a beautiful communal experience. And, you know, Eddie, Eddie saw we were all wearing the same State of Love and Trust podcast shirts yeah. and he pointed it out and he, he, he had a finger on my wife. He was like, yeah, that, that, that one, the chick the shirt, the one with the shirt. And he threw a tambourine and she caught it. We still have it. And it's, uh, to me, like, like just, it, it was a combination of that moment, the music, being with, with her, being with Jason and Andrea. It, it's, you could not have written a better script. So in terms of like, when I think Pearl Jam show, that's the, one of the first things that that comes to mind but if i if i had to pick favorite show to listen to it'd probably be newcastle england february 22nd 1992. uh there's something about england i went last summer i told my boss this was june i don't remember but i told my boss <laughs> that i had to have like sur- like a crazy like 24-hour surgery i don't know i made up the most if he watches this i'm fucked. i was just gonna say do they know the truth or <laughs> we break news but, no they don't know the truth at this point i don't care as long as i got to where i needed to go but on thursday i caught a flight thursday or friday anyways i flew to the uk for 24 hours to go see pearl jam at hyde park and then i flew right back to la the next day love it and i got a tattoo hold on of the flight number somewhere (laughs) it's amazing it's on me somewhere there it is i got a tattoo of the flight number just to remind me to always do that like if there's if something you love is somewhere just go 
And so I got that as a reminder to do that. And it was one of the best shows I've ever seen. The set was fucking amazing. Those high park shows were very, very good last summer. I I will give you that. Uh, I'll give you my answer real quick. Um, It was hard to beat my first show, which is 98 in Hartford. It was, it was the night, the show after the breath campaign came to a head. Oh, the breath campaign. So I was the show after my very first show. It was fucking wild. Uh, but my the best show I've ever been to, the, oh, it was still very new to me to be to be a Pearl Jam live fan, was the DVD show Madison Square Garden, July eighth, two thousand three. Oh, they they made the stage. I'm getting goosebumps right now. They made yeah, the yeah, stage yeah. shake for the fit for the fourth time in the, in, the, in the building's history. That's unbelievable night. And then I had to come back the next night for night two. But anyways, you showed me a tattoo there. You have yeah. another one on your other wrist. I yeah, I have a th- I have a couple of this one. Yeah. Or this one. Uh-huh. I'm about to get another one. This one is from the home shows in Seattle, and that's Eddie's writing of it's his shortcut for Yellow Ledbetter. Yep. Okay. Which is and this is State of Love and Trust. Well. Uh, the acronym, but um Yellow Ledbetter is my favorite song. Really quick, back to the shows. The the fucking Wrigley Field. I was at the Storm show. Oh, the 2013. Oh boy. <laughs> when he brought out. I almost went to that. I chose not to. Oh. Yeah, I was at that show, and it was one of the most exciting nights of my life. It was really freaking cool. Not only like the storms coming, but I got to hide in the ivy at Wrigley Field. How cool was that? It was so cool for so wow. many like, legendary reasons. And then when they came back and played like two and a half hours, anyways, and were soaking wet, it was magical a buddy of mine was on the floor <laughs> and texting me updates he's like yeah, i was yeah, on the like, floor i was in like, the front oh, you son of a bitch man yeah. you, <laughs> killing me killing me um you said yellow bitter is your favorite song yeah i mean the we easy question is why um i don't know because he's not really saying anything but the <laughs> he song says fuck not- all <laughs> but the song itself it just the second I remember the first time I heard it, everything just washed away. I was like, this is the sound of my dreams. <laughs> and I remember telling my friends when I I lived in this apartment, I'm like, if I'm ever in a bad mood or something is wrong, p- take me to PCH, drive me down PCH and just play Yellow Lead Better and everything will be fine. And when my daughter was born, she was also born to Yellow Lead Better. It's just this. I don't know how to. It's got no words. It's, something about it it's just my jam i love it so much but i also i have like a little list of the favorites but yellow Ledbetter is the one wow i mean how do you explain a word that, i mean a song that has no words it's just the melody itself is it's poetry in motion it really is Really uh, you'll get no argument from either one of us. Okay. <laughs> uh, you listen, you, you've shared, you've had a lot of great experiences. I mean, over a yeah. hundred shows and yeah. just, just it, also your, your role as well in the media, I, I think presents you with unique opportunities to have a very particular experiences. I'm curious, is there a, a, a Pearl Jam story that you would regard as one of your favorites, whether you were there a part of it or not? I mean, I have so many, I have so many. Um, I saw plenty of scotch, Nicole, just go ahead and talk. As a fan, as a fan, I saw them and K-Rock presented Pearl Jam. My job presented Pearl Jam. I don't know, early in the 2000s, it was like this freak show that they did at the Fonda. Can you imagine Pearl Jam? Oh, so small. Amazing. Can you imagine Pearl Jam doing a radio show at the Fonda? Like that's unheard of. They would never. So because I worked there, I was let in first and Sonic Youth opened and I was full on rail. And I had a nine inch nail shirt on. So I was like fully representing my life. 
And it, the whole the whole show, I was crying and singing every word. Not only did I get the bottle of wine during Crazy Mary that oh. night, but it spilled on my Nine Inch Nails shirt. But Mike and I had like a like we he just kept like look at that poor girl is she okay? And he gave me uh, he gave me the guitar pick. And then Eddie gave me the set list at the end of the night. It didn't stop. It was like an embarrassing riches. It just didn't stop. <laughs> yeah. So that there's that. And then the, f- I've met Eddie a few times and I, I should know him by now, but I can't speak when I see him. I just start crying. I was going to ask <laughs> you about funny, dude. You guys, it's embarrassing. <laughs> I was going to ask you if you met him. I mean, you, you've, you've, spoken to everybody else i mean why wouldn't so you have many to him? times so many times but like we've had okay the first time i met him this is my favorite story ever 2003 september he was doing a show at the avalon and it was a ramones tribute show mm-hmm. and he was singing with my with my buddy tim armstrong who's in rancid Oh, just your buddy Tim Armstrong no big deal cool <laughs> tim knew tim knew that i loved eddie more than anything so Tim's like, hey, man, I'm going to leave you tickets at the get the will call so you could come to the show. And I was like, he's going to leave me backstage passage. <laughs> I get there and he leaves me regular tickets. And I'm oh, like, come on, Tim. Right, that's cool. Um, <laughs> so I walk in and I'm watching the Chili Peppers or something. And my phone started buzzing and I pick it up and it's my friend Lauren. And she goes, can you come to the smoking patio? And I was like, yeah. And I'm still like, harumph. I go to the smoking patio and my friend Lauren is there and some punk rock looking guy. And he goes, are you Nicole? And I said, yes. And he goes, I'm supposed to take you to Eddie. And I was like, wait, what (laughs) What are you talking about? He puts a laminate on me and Tim told them that I'm the guitar tech. So Tim gave me his guitar techs. (laughs) I go up the stairs. Role playing. I like it. (laughs) I go up the stairs in the back into a room with Chris Rock and Lisa Marie Presley and one of the Ramones. And it was like, it was fucking bananas. And they walk me to Tim. I'm like on the balcony on the top. They walk me to Tim and I'm literally in a state of shock. So I go to Tim, I'm shaking. And the first thing Tim says is like, isn't this cool? It feels like I graduated from Harvard. Like, look, this is, I can't believe I'm playing this. And I'm like, what is happening? (laughs) And so he, he pulls me over and he introduces me to Eddie. And Eddie's like, any friend of Tim's is friend of mine. And I was like, can we take a picture? <laughs> I, saw, I have the picture and I'll send you guys later. Fantastic. And I had a disposable camera. <laughs> this is before we had yeah. the cell phone shit. And it, the, in the picture, it's me in the middle wearing a Pearl Jam like, sweatband. Mm-hmm. Uh, a poster that I had already bought <laughs> in my hands. And I had Tim here and I had Eddie here. Some stranger took the picture. And then... Um, Eddie goes, one more, just me and her. Fucking oh, dead. He knows point. exactly what to say. <laughs> Fucking dead at this point. And then, it's not even over. And then he's like super conflicted, talking to Tim. Uh, the band X, I think, had mm-hmm. played the song that Tim and Eddie were going to originally sing. Oh. So they Herbal. look at me and they're like, what song should we sing? They already did. Sheena's a punk rocker. Like, what song should we sing? And I'm trying to not like my knees are about to buckle i'm gonna die at this point 
Eddie Vedder gives me an American spirit. Tim hands me a water. And I was like, I don't know what to say. I got to go. And I excused myself and I ran out like a little coward. And I started <laughs> crying. Um, and then I got to the front of the stage where Tim was and they ended up singing, I believe in miracles. Oh, yeah. they both like made eye contact with me. And it was imagine for that night to happen in the song, I believe in miracles. So I'm crying, singing that lyric, <laughs> like I am a human miracle. <laughs> So that's, oh, that's, that's amazing. I have a lot of those stories. There's one with my daughter too that, I mean, I don't want to bore you with these, but I have a lot of magical. It's interesting when you love something enough from the right place in your heart, the stuff you can manifest with it is nuts. Like this, the, all of these things, like if you love something with a pure, pure heart, it will somehow love you back. Yeah, that's, I know. I'm cheesy. No, no, no. No, you're not, you're not cheesy. I hear that that kind of thing from my wife all the time. We have a we have a, a calendar on the wall in the kitchen that you can write on with like you know dry and write marker, and she's that there's a portion for notes, and she writes like little little manifestation sayings, like affirmations and shit on them yeah. all the time, just yeah. like that. Like you just gotta have, gotta have that mindset. You gotta have it's a and it's a feeling. Like I always loved Pearl Jam so much. I got into radio to meet Pearl Jam. <laughs> And I, and I always said, I was like, I'm going to meet Eddie Vedder. And it, but the first, the same month that I got hired, that I started working at K-Rock is the month I became friends with Tim and Tim took me to meet Eddie. So, but it was something I just, I loved it so much that it felt like it's not a matter of if it's just when, right. It's, it's a feeling. It's a, it's a crazy feeling where, you know, I don't know, you can just make magic happen. Well, let me ask you, Nicole. I mean, you, you, yeah. you mentioned your daughter. You, you yeah. spoke with uh, Olivia, Ed's daughter, about yes, uh, her show. Yes, I'm very show. close that's, to that's Olivia. Time. Yeah, right, I'm very right. close to Olivia. She's amazing. So, clearly, he's instilled many of, of his and Jill's ideals into Olivia. And, and for an 18-year-old to be as thoughtful as she is, it, it, I, both Jason and I agree, is, is incredibly impressive. As a mother of a little girl yourself, what ideals do you hope to instill in your daughter? And how do you think Pearl Jam can help define those ideals within yourself? It's funny because when I first, I wanted to interview Olivia because of, um, because of a podcast that she was doing. She was doing a series on Instagram called Let's Talk with her friend Layla. And she was, instead of doing like, you know, regular teenage pop culture stuff, she was interviewing like climate activists and Gloria Steinem, and so her father's daughter and her mother's daughter. It's and pretty cool, though. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. cool. Yeah. And so I found her to be such an impressive young lady. And as the mother of a little girl, I was like, I would want my little girl to go down the Olivia path where she doesn't care about the obvious, where she's like, wants to interview Gloria Steinem. Are you kidding? So I ended up approaching Olivia and in talking to her, one of the things that I learned was it does, it starts at home. It really does. It starts at home. I guess what I hope to instill in her is, oh God, that's such an interesting question because we could sit here and we can answer that in so many different mm -hmm. ways. Purpose, honesty. I don't want her, I don't want her to do anything for anybody else. I want her to, because she's very concerned already about making other people happy. I want to instill how important it is to, you have to be happy first and the rest will work itself out. And 
how important it is to speak up. So I think with her, I'm teaching her about having having and how to use a voice. And the other thing that's really important to me with my daughter is mistakes aren't anything to freak out about. Like, let's find a way to play around it, play with it. Like if she spills something, instead of freaking out, I'm always like, all right, let's hop around in the water. You just spilled all over the freaking kitchen. And then we clean it. Because I want to lift the anxiety. She drew something when she was two on the wall and it looked like a penis. And I looked at it and I was like, what is this? She was like three. And she's like, it's a whale. I'm like, in my head, I'm like, it's dick. Um, But I was like, you know what? Let's add to it. So we got the crayons and I drew on the wall with her. Here's some hair. Yeah, here's some hair and some water. Um, I want her, I want her to learn how to build from her mistakes in a way that her mistakes become something great. You have a growth mindset, Nicole. And next time show her one of your one of your tattoos and say She did one. She did um she wrote Evie. And so uh, we tattooed it the same day she wrote it. Beautiful. We'll tell her <laughs> that that failure is not a tattoo. It's just a bruise. It's just a bruise. Yeah. Right. So it's really fun to be. It's really scary to be a parent, but it's yes, also it's really fun. And <laughs> so in her room, she has the first thing I did when I found out I was pregnant was her decorate her room. In her room, it's uh, Eddie Vedder wallpaper. <laughs> so my friend was at one of the Coliseum shows 2013. Mm-hmm. November, one of those, and he's a professional photographer. So he blew up the picture for me. And my friend does whatever magic. So he made that one picture. It's Eddie singing in a blue light, her wallpaper. So Eddie's like singing into her crib, and Eddie's always been on her wall. Wow. So the only thing that I've taught her as far as when it comes to, to Eddie is to just to always have a lighthouse because he's our lighthouse. And to always have a lighthouse. So when it comes to Pearl Jam and that, when she hears Pearl Jam, she knows that's our lighthouse. I love yeah. that. Always find yeah. a guiding light. Um, there, there is going to be a part two because I, I want to hear more so. stories, but I don't, I, I, I that's the, a great spot to like put a little pin in it. Um, there are just a couple of things I, I have to know real quick. Favorite yeah. album. Of Pearl Jam's? Mm-hmm. No code. Okay. Okay, girl. Yeah. Um, uh, and and this nobody ever ends. One of my favorite songs is um, not on No Code, but it's Marker in the Sand. And a lot of people leave that out, but I do like the um, and wasted reprise, even though it's five seconds long. You know, uh, we actually talk about Marker in the Sand a couple of times. We have, we do a, a series called the Playlist, where we kind of just pick basically a mixtape and cap it at like EP length. And say, okay, what's the theme? And Marker in the Sand came up on one, and we both had it. We were like, yeah, this song is super underrated. Like, how is it it's not? And more that so and hand, I'm telling you. Yeah. Walking tightrope high over moral ground. Like, just think about the meta. Like, oh, it's, it's beautiful. Yep, <laughs> I agree. Anything. Uh, okay. What else? The last one is um, favorite whiskey. I'm a Jameson girl. Jameson. I'm not, I know I'm not fancy. I'll drink whatever whiskey comes my way, homie. Um, <laughs> you're lucky. Look, I just graduated Jack Daniels not that long ago. Okay. I'm just like a rainbow room kind of like shitty rock and roll dive bar whiskey girl. But just you, Lemmy, and Ron Jeremy in a bottle <laughs> hold on, of Jamo. Hold on. Although white Japanese. <laughs> I know a table you were at. I've been there before. <laughs> although white Japanese whiskey is Ooh. the most delicious whiskey I've ever had. It's just very hard to find. 
Uh, okay. I have yeah. a bottle of Japanese whiskey in the house. I have. N- I don't think it's white though, but it is delicious. Find the white. They there's a place. There's a sushi place in Seattle that has it. I'm gonna hunt it down, and it starts with an the the whiskey starts with an F. I'm gonna. I'll get back to you, but it's a white Japanese whiskey, and if you can get it, it's the best whiskey there is. Also, I, I agree. Sunkiss is by far the best <laughs> in the world. Yes. It's the best. It's the best. Yeah. I will yeah. fight anybody who says yeah. anything else. Uh, Shasta uh, or whatever. Um, my God, what a delight, Nicole. And like I said, we uh, will find another another time to do this because this is so much fun. Guys, uh, can we make a playlist together? Yes. Oh, we'd love to do that with you. Can we can we make a playlist together? Absolutely. No, yeah, not right sure. this second, but can we do like yes. I don't know, a future date where we where we just we have to put together no the perfect Pearl Jam set list. We'll do it. Okay. Uh, Jason just had a little cameo on TV the other day doing something similar. Remember? Oh, I, w- I was on. I was on KTLA uh, on on last Monday. They have their five o'clock news hour has a um a guest DJ thing. We get to pick yeah. five songs that play to break. Yeah. And so I picked five Pearl Jam songs. Oh, and I did a little oh video my of myself. God. I had the little shirt on. I was like, hey, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. When we make our set list, we all have to drink whiskey unless somebody's sober in this group chat. No, that's a, uh, I, I am an avid Scotch drinker. Okay. And, okay. and I shall partake and enjoy okay. in, in, in these libations. Okay, <laughs> cool. Then it'll be, we'll pick a song, take a shot, pick a song, take a shot. <laughs> we got to get one of those whiskey advent calendars. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what we need. Fun. I really hope to talk to you guys again, because this is a subject matter that we can go so many different directions oh, with. We can open without, so many doors, like philosophical ones. Um, we could talk about like being active. There's just so many things when it comes to Pearl Jam that we can, we uh, would, it would be our pleasure to host you again, Nicole. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We, we've, we've done 140 some odd shows. And I, at the beginning of this whole thing, it was just to kind of pass the time when, the, when COVID started yeah. and we never thought that we would come up with enough ideas to fill these many shows, but here we are continuing to find new facets on this multifaceted die that is Pearl Jam. And it's just, it's, it's led to this conversation. And yeah. I, I'm so happy that it has and, and many more to come. And you'll be on a few of those, I hope. That makes me really happy. Next time, remind me to tell you about when Eddie met Evie, my daughter. Ooh, what a fun oh, tease. That's how we do that the biz. Fantastic. All right. Nicole Alvarez from the world famous K-Rock. Thank you very much. Bye, guys. Thank you. Thanks, this is amazing. Oh, man. Nicole is fantastic. And I, I'm already waiting with bated breath for the next part. Of our journey together. I hope this is the first in a series, Jason. Wouldn't it be nice if the we Alvarez just periodically? Files. Yeah. Uh, well, we we have our our, our bank of stip episodes. Oh, we do. You know, we got to have our, our good friends from Black Circle on again. That's true. We've, we've logged a, a good number of those. Honestly, the the almost every guest we've had, perhaps every guest we've had, uh, it, is worthy of a follow up. But uh, Brad Nicole Coffin certainly. Twice. Exactly. And and we certainly count Nicole among that uh, that cadre of wonderful, wonderful Ooh, good guests word, cadre. Yeah. So like excited one. to have her back. Can't wait. Well, thanks again to Nicole. And um, well, tell us what you guys think about that interview because we loved it. We had a great time. And uh, while you guys ruminate on that, we're going to move on to the Lyric of the Week. This week, uh, we can't do Yellow Lead Better, which is Nicole's favorite song, because we already did it. But we've got a song here, relatively recent, that I think, attitude-wise, really speaks um, to the rest of this episode, and that is Can't Deny Me. 
right, Paul, can't deny me. This is a middle verse. What do you got? I, I love these, these lines here in the middle. Your ignorance is sinful. This mm-hmm. idea that, yes, we have a right to learn. I would tell students that all the time. You have a right to learn, but you also have a responsibility to learn. And I think with, with, in the same way that every right, there's a responsibility to exercise it, learning is no different. It's not just enough to say, I'm entitled, give me, right? Knowledge is power. And there are many around the world who have been denied the right to learn, uh, just to make a play on, on the song title here. Uh, but in this country, very few people are denied the right to learn. Uh, it, it, unless you live in, in such a state of, of impoverished, tragic, uh, you know, in situations like that, it can be very, very difficult. But th- there's a reason why it's it's criminal to to not put your child in school. I mean, it's it is a it, it is the expectation that you will do so. Now, listen, we can go off on a tangent on the the uh, the machine that is the United States education system, and we, we won't get into that. But uh, all of that being said, like given the opportunity to learn, there's a responsibility there. So to be ignorant ultimately is is a choice. It's a willful choice to say, I don't want to learn these things because they run contrary to the narrative that I want to believe. And when you do that, you ultimately are planting seeds of lies. And and when those roots take hold, to quote the lyrics, the country that we are now is poisoned and we're in critical condition. And I think in, in a lot of ways, America is and has been in critical condition for some time. This song was written about the Trump administration. And I think uh, there are many who felt at the time that uh, we were in critical condition. Uh, certainly the band felt that way. I mean, Eddie was very pointed in, in his remarks on Gigaton towards that administration as he was with prior administrations as well. So I think this song, lyrically at least, does what a lot of Pearl Jam songs have done uh, and continue to do. So in that regard, I don't necessarily think it's unique, but I love this idea that ignorance is is sinful, that we, we he talks so much about um, faith and religion and, and organized structures of that. And to, to reference a word like, to hear a word like sinful coming out of Eddie Vedder's mouth is a notable thing. It, it really is. Strong. It is strong. And and I think that, you know, for him to use it that way in reference to something like ignorance is important because it just shows you how strongly he feels against those who who don't exercise the right to learn and remedy that ignorance because there's so much at stake. So much depends upon our ability to, 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 um, you know, make transparent the, the very situation and the state of our union. So. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you touched on, the obvious parts, the Trump parts, the anti-Trump right. parts. Um, and listen, some people don't like when we talk politics on this show, but it's kind of hard when some songs like this one are so obviously about them. So we kind of have right. to just talk about what what this is, right? It's not necessarily. Well, I don't think I, you know, I'm, neither one of us are necessarily, um, you know, promoting a position as much as it is in observation and. Uh, kind of chronicling what this song was composed about yeah. and lyrically what is being referenced. There, there, there's a difference. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, 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 you know, like you said, there's been a number of songs like this, or I should say a number of songs in, in the band's catalog that have been as pointed as this. Um, this is just one of the most recent iterations. Um, but it's, it could be the most direct one as well. And I mean, this song debuted five years ago this week. 
it, it wow. feels like it was yesterday and, yeah. and an eternity ago all at the same time. Just now, nuts. obviously, we have the Trump overtones, as you said. They're very strong. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's some Me Too, Time's Up stuff going on here. I mean, Harvey Weinstein was arrested in New York just a couple of months after this song debuted. And we knew things were happening about him for a while. Um, so maybe there's a hint of that in here as well. I think some of the later lyrics kind of touch on that. Um, but this stuff isn't really new. Like you said, for Pearl Jam, a song about someone feeling oppressed by an authority figure. We, we've been here before. Right. If maybe in more poetic and clever ways, mm-hmm. I feel like Ed at this point felt no need for metaphor. I, I think he was just going to come out and say what he felt. Directness was the name of the game here. And and that has worked in the past with some songs. I think Jeremy is pretty direct. Um, but it's been not so great with other songs. Bushlicker is an example of that, I think. Right. This song is closer to, I think, the latter, but it, in it all, uh, in my opinion. And I would imagine most people's, but I, I want to focus on something that we touched on with Nicole earlier. And that's the band uh, fighting for those who do not have their platform. You know, they have and continue to do so even as they've become more than just, you know, relative peers to its audience, but but superstars on, on a different plane. And this this constant is their desire to speak out against those who would do harm in their eyes to the common human, to decency, to equality, and to the truth. Is this musically complex? Not really. Is it dynamic? Moderately. I mean, first time I can remember a cowbell, so that's something. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you know, honestly, I, I can't think I say that I've listened to this song more than five years ago, probably when I f- heard these first boots. Um, well, it's fascinating because this song was billed as uh, from the forthcoming 11th yeah, studio album never by happened, Pearl Jam, but, uh, and, and, and it never actually ended up on an album. Uh, the artwork for the single featured this this young female protester. Mm-hmm. I, I believe Jeff is the one that that put the artwork together alongside uh, videographer Kevin Shush. I think is is how the last name is pronounced. So it comes out in in March of 2018. It's an exclusive download on Pearl Jam's Ten Club for for members there, and then eventually a couple of days later made available to the general public. But it, it never showed up on an album. It's, it, yeah. but but it was a step further than of the earth, right? It was a, a it, it was a song that was theoretically meant to be a precursor to what should be an album, but it never it ended up not. And I just find it interesting that the band ultimately decided to let this be a one off, almost like a you know a pointed exclamation mark of a statement that they felt like didn't need to be muddled by adding it to well, an album. I would, my guess is that when it came down to it. Uh, they felt they probably they probably felt that they had other songs on the album that they liked more that were in the similar similar musical vein, and that that song mostly being Super Blood Wolf Moon. I th- yeah, it's my, it's my guess. Well, I mean, also, you're, you're probably right. You think about when it was probably written, you know, a year before the song was released, the Women's March happened, and there were a lot of protests around that time, which I'm I'm guessing played into this, which is why I mentioned the Me Too thing, right? But, um. I would say what I love about the song is that the band hasn't lost the fire to speak up. That's that's the biggest thing I take away from this. That they have they ha- they haven't forgotten where they came from, and I am a hundred percent buying what they're selling. I, I love the message, and I, I don't for a second believe this is all lip service because the band has always backed up what they sing about. 
there's no let up from these guys if they perceive an injustice and and, and it's that kind of persistent sort of like fuck you to those who would do harm mm-hmm. it kind of keeps me motivated as well not only as a listener of them but a listener of any kind of music and motivated at the polls motivated to where i'm going to donate my money and my time um and for many out there i would say motivated to write their own music you know yeah. i think that's huge as ed would sing a couple of years later on a song i will not name <laughs> there is much to be done mm. and, uh, <laughs> this is kind of the precursor to you can see where their headspace was i just think yeah. musically it probably wasn't up to snuff compared to super blood as they as they would would have wanted and so they go, okay, we'll just, we'll leave that where it was. It was a moment in time. Yeah. I mean, it was released a few days before they went on tour in 2018. In a lot of ways, this song kind of defined that tour. Um, you know, so it's, it, it, maybe it was just a, a, a moment, you know, it had yeah. its place in time and, and the band felt like it was comfortable just letting it live there. Just like and, Olay. And, and, yeah. <laughs> it's, I'm not uh, joking. And, I mean, Olay was I'm a... okay with that. <laughs> I, I'm okay with these songs that come out that aren't necessarily... Yeah, I, I love the fact that it didn't show up on the album because, man, we got new music. You know what yeah. I mean? We didn't have yeah. to hear a song in 2018, and then two years later, it's on the album. It's like, well, that's one less song to be to be surprised well, about. Or and to, the same thing holds true for a song like "Get Get It Back," which was very underwhelming for me. Yeah, uh, I hear that, yeah. and you know, to hear that come out later and not on Gigaton, I think retrospectively was a little bit of a relief. But we're not talking about that song today. We're talking about no. not, I can't deny. <laughs> um, all right, well. Let's uh, let's move on to our live cut of the week. Ready to stand up! All right, so live cut of "Can't Deny Me." Sixteen performances. Uh, I, I believe they're all in 2018. Am I wrong, or are they are they spread out a little bit? Uh, I, I believe they are as well. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, what, what are we gonna do? Uh, we're going to Chile, uh, Chile, specifically March 16th, 
Yeah, we were chatting about this about this song. Um, one of the cool things about the newer stuff is that we chat about it mm-hmm. because you had you had this whole thing sorted well before we decided to do a podcast. This live cut thing, so you had everything banked. I'm like, sweet, must work for me. Um, <laughs> but this new stuff, there's like, I don't know, like you could hem and haw on it, and you threw a couple things at me, and I listened to probably like twelve of the sixteen, and I'm like. You know what? This one, this, I think pretty much all of them musically were kind of in the same pocket. They kind Mm -hmm. kind of all, I mean, they're all from the same tour. They all sound pretty much the same. A couple of them were a little bit slower and I didn't like that. But this one, March 16th, Lollapalooza in Santiago, Chile. And it was the second show they did in a matter of four days. Right in in the Chilean capital. And it's within a week of of it being released as a single. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so the debut was three days or four days prior, um, which we both really liked because why? Parkland. He, uh, you know, dedicates this song to the, the the Parkland students. And I think that, that that's notable. That there seemed to be a, a strong activist sentiment swirling around this song. And that's why I say in a lot of ways this song, interestingly enough, because it wasn't an official song on an album, but it, it really seemed to define that tour in mm. 2018. So to to dedicate this song to uh, to uh, uh, you know the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School students and, and shouting out that the the nationwide school walkout at the time to protest gun violence, just in a lot of ways. I mean, that I feel I feel like there was a an activist spirit that was just aroused in in these these performances that, yeah. that for you know within the first ten days of the of the single dropping, and so it yeah, super, so- definitely supercharged the performance. It, it was really good. And then I listened to the next performance, uh, number two overall, uh, and I found it to be a little bit better. And I, and so you had the building of the dedication four days earlier, similar crowd, if not, if not much of the same crowd, mm-hmm. but, but he dedicated the song again in a way to the crowd, in a way to show everyone back home what big energy from people united can do and how that can be bigger than a government. And that got the crowd pumped and they were, Hey, Hey, Hey. And they were into it. And they led the song. They started the song and I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it, but that elevated the song to a different level that was not matched the next 16 performances. In my opinion. I I completely agree. And look, there is a, uh, there's a, a longstanding tradition with Pearl Jam when it comes to these performances that are overseas. Uh, and you know, I mean, Ch- Chile is a, a country that experienced a, a, a coup, uh, mm-hmm. back in 1973. So, I mean, you, you talk about a company that, or I'm sorry, country, not a company, pardon me, t- terrible <laughs> choice of words. The on my 40 part and there. slip for America right there. Uh, right, exactly. But I mean, you know, th- th- this is a, a country that has I- experienced, uh, a real upheaval. You know what I mean? Um, in, in this particular case, in 1973, it, 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 we're, we're, we're talking about uh, a liberal democracy and, and uh, a, a Marxist elected president, but that's neither here nor there. Point is, is that there, there's a recent memory, a, a somewhat of a of a fresh wound compared to the last time we had any type of uh, significant upheaval as far as you know the American Revolution and the Civil War and so on. So, I think uh, a Chilean crowd is is going to definitely get up on their hands and. Uh, and, and feet and, and they're gonna they're gonna get into a song like this and i thought that they they really added to your point you know a, a real sense of of uh of environment and 
how do I say this? They they were almost an accompaniment, I suppose, to the yeah. song mm-hmm. in, in a way that that helped it come alive freshly in such a manner that you you can't experience it that way as a single off the radio. Yeah, and the last thing I'll say is when I was listening to these songs, trying to think of what my favorite version was, it obviously really depended on on Ed's performance and delivery. Oh, for sure, yeah, and some were were not as good as others some were kind of fine but when the crowd played its part like this one he found he, he gets jazzed gear. yeah he did you yeah tell. he did and so this in this kind of song needs that it so. does all right cool uh, there it is guys we hope you enjoyed this episode uh episode 147 my goodness we're closing in on another closing one. on it was it what, <laughs> what what do they call it? a a, qu- a quince, 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 quince <laughs> what's the word for 150 i th- you know i don't know but i know the bicentennial that, that yeah. was a big deal in american history but uh bicentennial but there's, there's a 150 word i'm gonna call it quincentennial and you guys can just run with that <laughs> make it a hashtag for all i care get your dress ready jason <laughs> oh i already got one <laughs> all right we thank you guys again uh thank you to the listeners all of you new old in between uh patrons we appreciate you guys so so much anyone who's bought one of those new tavoli inspired t-shirts Oh, thank you so much. Uh, there's still some remaining. Uh, we'll make a new batch um, if we sell out of those bad boys, so let us know. Thank you to Nicole Alvarez. She is a peach. She's coming back on the show. Can't wait for the next time around. Um, yeah, we're closing at 150, Paul. Um, any last words? Just a big heartfelt thank you to all of you for listening through 147 episodes. And very excited about the next three. And... That's, That's it. That. That's it. And more. And more. <laughs> and more. All right, gang. Uh, until the next episode, you have been listening to The State of Love and Trust. The State of Love and Trust.